1: And we'd like to welcome you to another edition of Spotlight on Long Island Schools on 1039 LI News Radio. And catch us out on the LI News Radio app. So this way, wherever you go, you can take Spotlight on Long Island Schools with you. Spotlight on Long Island Schools is brought to you by the Nassau Suffolk School Boards Association, serving Long Island school boards since 1959. I'm Bob Vecchio, your host. Thanks for tuning in each and every week to hear about what we're doing in public education here on Long Island. And this week in our spotlight, well, it's a special issues segment, and we're going to be talking about reading and comprehension in our public schools. And there is a growing trend to go from the way reading is fundamentally taught in our schools today to a new methodology, a new way to help improve proficiency (laughs) in reading. And of course, reading comprehension and proficiency at certain levels impacts a child's education on a baseline in every subject matter. So it's so critically important. And you might've been hearing things about the science of reading. And recently governor Hochul has announced an initiative that she wants to throw and invest $10 million into this initiative to Change the way reading is taught in our schools throughout New York State. Here to join us and tell us about this program and share some very personal experiences about it is Debbie Brown. She is a trustee in the West Islip School District, but today she is speaking from her own perspective and her own opinion. But she brings a lot of different avenues of perspectives to the table. One is a trustee, one is a parent and somebody who's been involved in public education and sees the do's, the don'ts, what's good, what's not, and everything else in between. So, Debbie, welcome to Spotlight on Long Island Schools and thank you for your service to your community as well as the community at large. Welcome aboard.
0: Thank you, Bob. I'm so excited to be here.
1: So, Debbie... Let's start off with the science of reading. Let's talk to our listening audience about what it is and what it isn't.
0: Yeah, so the science of reading is really um, a compilation of 50 years of research, and basically what we've identified from the the key points to it are that there are five pillars that really need to be focused on to teach your kid to read, and those include uh, phonics, and that's really just like sound letter cor- correlation um there's phonemic awareness which is the ability to identify sounds that make up words like for instance rhyming would be an example another example would be like manipulation of sounds like say you have the word all and you change the first letter from a b to a t then you would have tall so you want kids to be able to manipulate language then there's fluency And that's basically um, the automaticity and the rate and prosody at which one reads. And then there's vocabulary, which is comprised of background knowledge. That's something that you really want to, you know, expose kids to as much background knowledge as you can because they find that helps build vocabulary. And finally, there's comprehension. It's basically being able to make sense of the written word and comprehension is really an outcome of all the other facets that i just described to you so that information actually came out of the national reading panel that was commissioned by congress in 1997 the report actually came out in the year 2000 and for some reason the research is kind of like on one side of the spectrum and education is on the other side of the spectrum and for whatever reason those two polar opposites have not really connected to get this information into schools. What we've been currently using in schools is the units of study by Lucy Calkins. It's also referred to as balanced literacy or three cueing or whole language. And with those programs, you have phonics kind of embedded in the programs, but it's not used really like foundationally to really like get kids doing that uh, phonics and phonemic awareness early, early on. So what they kind of propose is surround kids with books, make a beautiful corner in the classroom with all different types of stories, let kids kind of guide their reading independently, and the teacher will kind of come around and, and assist. But with that kind of program, like they leave the kids to do independent reading for 20-minute 20, 20 blocks. And for a kid that's not picking it up, I mean, to me, that's a lot of wasted education time. And what, what was happening, too, is those programs gave the appearance that a kid was reading. So, for example, in one of those books, um, the leveled books, they would have like repetitive sentences like, I like, and then there'd be a blank with a picture of a dog. So the kid would have to kind of memorize the first few words and then identify or guess the word dog by the picture. They weren't sounding out. So those books would kind of be repetitive like that with a lot of picture cueing. So it would kind of actually give the appearance in the early grades that the kids could read. But as they get older, like third grade, that's usually where things start to unravel with that program because there's less pictures. So the kids are really kind of self-identifying that they're just not picking up how to sound out a word um, because their memory kind of fails. They reach like a certain point where all their memorized words are kind of expended and now they're being introduced to all these new words and they can't sound them out. So we'd
1: hear things like sight words. That's, That's what we're talking about to connect to certain sentences, correct?
0: So sight words, so early in the early grades, the kids are actually memorizing sight words like the, so so they're giving the appearance that they're reading, but once they get to the point where they're being more challenged with more complicated words that they actually have to sound out, that's where things start to break down because they no longer have those pictures to kind of cue their reading. So that's where we really start to see the breakdown and really see that they weren't ever really taught sound letter correlation. So, that's and, and where idea. do
1: we see like mm-hmm. the, you know, you hear certain times that kids should be at a grade level reading or proficiency in reading by a certain age? Otherwise, it's kind of like, I don't know if it was a magic cutoff, but if you're not if you're not getting it by a certain grade,
0: well, the thing other of it is, things
1: are really going to be
0: impacted. Yeah, the thing of it is, and the other reason things start to break down too, like with a lot of kids, you know, there's the dyslexics who really need intense, intense, intense reading, and then so. And here's the actual breakdown. So about forty percent of kids will learn to read no matter what program you throw at them. They need very little intervention. Then you have about ten to twenty percent that are dyslexic that. Really good core instruction might not get them there. They're probably going to need very intensive instruction with like a Wilson or Norton Gillingham. But in between, you have that percentage of kids that do need some structured, explicit instruction. They might not be dyslexic, but they need that help. And by third grade, it really becomes apparent also because math then becomes reading. So usually these kids are actually good at math early on, and by the time they get to third grade, now they start to struggle with math because most of the math is reading. So then you kind of start to say, I have a big problem. And the thing of it is, in third grade, you start transitioning. You're no no longer supposed to be learning to read. You're supposed to be reading to learn. That's where it becomes a problem. And if you are not at the level you're supposed to be in by third grade, then you really start to fall behind because they're really not teaching you how to read anymore at that point. They're really giving you information that they want you to read and understand.
1: So statewide, you know, the governor recently came out at a recent event and, you know, said New York State is not where it should be from a proficiency level. What do you say to the critics that say, well, you can't judge New York State or Long Island in particular accurately as far as what the assessments are showing as far as reading proficiency because of the high number of opt outs. There was just a recent article in Newsday about this and Long Island is the epicenter of opt-outs. So what is what is the data showing? I mean, you were quoting some uh, figures, obviously, but in our last minute and a half here, what is the impact of opt-outs to see where we're really at from a comprehension level?
0: Well, you know, it's actually funny that you bring that up because I actually struggle with this all the time um, because I've been apt- opting my son out for years, my youngest son. And I think the problem is that kids who are really struggling parents like me sometimes opt them out because school is just a struggle to begin with. And now it's kind of like you're piling on, you know, having them complete these tests. So I actually wonder if there are a lot of parents just like me and opting out at this point for that same reason. So it does make me concerned that the numbers could actually be worse if we actually had the real data. So, you know, it's really hard to say, but I know Probably globally. The numbers are not supposed to be where they need to be. Um, Definitely across the United States. Um, I can tell you 46% of all third graders scored proficient in language at the ELA on the 2021-2022 New York State assessment. That's less than half. And the NAEP scores are at 42% of fourth grade students scored below basic. So we got a problem.
1: we got a problem, we got to do better, and you don't have to be bad to be better in some cases, but we have a lot of work to do when it comes to reading comprehension. We're talking about reading proficiency and verse the traditional way that reading is taught versus the science of reading. And listen, the studies go back quite a few years, and certain administrations have tried to tackle public education both on a federal and a state level and we're going to learn more about the science of reading and we're going to hear about debbie's personal story and then her perspective as a board member as well you're listening to spotlight on long island schools on 103.9 li news radio and out on that li news radio app and check out our facebook page spotlight on long island schools that's your place to suggest a program club or activity that your school's involved in and your district may be the next one right here in our spotlight Like to welcome you back to Spotlight on Long Island Schools on 1039 LI News Radio. And catch us out on that LI News Radio app. No matter where you go, you can take us with you. And we're continuing our conversation with Debbie Brown. She is a school board trustee for the West Islip School District, a passionate advocate for changing the way we teach reading to get better results. And her advocacy and her passion comes from being a parent who has kind of, you know, this has been up close and personal for her. But Debbie, you know, in the last segment. We really just kind of went right by it very quickly, but it's an important point I want to revisit. Changing the way we teach reading very early on and moving to a model of science of reading can also help with another issue that, you know, there's a lot of room for improvement. And that's students who deal with dyslexia. Oftentimes they go misdiagnosed or they're undiagnosed for a long time, and that just creates a whole host of problems but changing the way we teach reading and science of reading maybe could lead to earlier interventions for those kids. Let's talk about the impact of dyslexia and how this methodology can help improve that as well.
0: Yeah, there's there's so much material here that um I'm going to try to narrow it down as much as I can, but first I just want to say, you know, I consider reading a human right. You know, it really allows you to access being literate allows you to access your constitutional rights. It allows you to process and digest information for yourself without somebody else kind of putting their spin on it. So it's really unfortunate that in 2024, there are still kids graduating from high school that cannot read at a proficient level. I mean, it's really upsetting. So the using the science of reading in the classroom will definitely help everybody learn to read, not just kids that are kind of pre-wired to learn to read, However, there is one in five students is dyslexic, so that's about 20 percent of the student population is dyslexic. Those students will likely need, you know, extra intensive, explicit, direct, multisensory instruction. You know, just using the science of reading principles might not do it for those kids. But like you were saying, early identification is important, but the way the system is right now, even when kids are identified, we do not have the supports necessarily in place to help these kids learn to read. And dyslexics really suffer with reading, writing, and spelling. So, you know, they have a hard time with the sound letter correlation I was talking about earlier. They need to really learn the rules of how words are spelled. They need to be sat down and literally like nothing taken for granted. They need to be explicitly taught the rules of our language and writing as well. It's very difficult for them to kind of take their ideas and put them on paper. But with appropriate instruction, they can get there without without a doubt, um, like a program like Wilson or Norton Gillingham. Those are aligned with the science of reading. So that's foremost.
1: Let's talk about why the subject of reading is so passionate for you, not only as a trustee, but as a parent as well.
0: So my son um, was eventually diagnosed with dyslexia, but I had a lot of concerns, actually, when he was in preschool. I had noticed that he wasn't really like understanding rhyming. I read to all of my kids. He just didn't really seem to get rhyming. He went to a preschool where they formally introduced the alphabet, sound letter correlation, but he just wasn't picking it up. So that went on for two years in preschool, and I was concerned because I remember thinking, you know, I never really sat my other kids down and said, okay, this is an A, and he says, ah. Uh. So then he gets into kindergarten, and I remember expressing my concerns. I said, you know, I think this is really strange. Like, he just cannot remember letters, numbers. He can't spell his name. But, you know, everybody said, it's fine. He's young. You know, he's a boy. You know, all of these things. Mm-hmm. And he just really continued to struggle. To the point where it got so bad, like I was saying to you, I had to take him to Linda Mood Bell for intensive instruction. And that was at the end of third grade. And that kind of got him, you know, back together where he could kind of, you know, face face going to school again. But the thing of it is, you know, the knowledge is still not there. You know, that kids work so hard in school as it is. And if you're dyslexic, you're probably working. 20 times as hard as the kids around you. But nobody can really tell that, but you are. So you you basically struggle to get through the school day. You know at some point that you you cannot read. You're beating yourself up because you see everybody else around you picking it up so easily. You, you can't figure out what's wrong with you. You're dreading getting called on in class, you know, to read out loud because of course it becomes this big secret that you don't want everyone to know. And then you have all of this homework to come to, to come home to at the end of the day, after your entire day as it was, has been a struggle. So it's really mentally challenging. Um, There's a lot of these kids riddled with anxiety. You know, dyslexia is also the school to prison pipeline. They did a study in in a Texas prison. They found 46% of the prison population were dyslexic. So, you know, it's really preventing people from reaching their potential. And, you know, when you don't know how to help the kids, like, you know, some examples um, I had mentioned earlier, you know, giving kids like handwritten notes that the teacher has already written. It, it's so hard and taxing for kids who do, are dyslexic to take notes because they usually have working memory issues. So now they have to remember what the teacher has told them. They have to hold that in their head while they're trying to figure out how to spell, you know, the words in the sentence. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these kids have dysgraphia, which is like problems with writing. So then it's like if they even get it on the paper, they have a hard time even reading what they wrote. So it's just so complicated. And the way the education system is set up, it kind of pushes on all the weaknesses of these kids because think about like taking a class like biology, it's so much memorization. And usually dyslexic have working memory problems. So what might take a kid an hour to learn could take them days to learn. Also, spelling, if the kid is not identified, they might spell wrong words wrong on a test that they have not been explicitly taught, like the word Christmas. That does not play by any rules. So a kid who's not been explicitly taught Christmas is going to spell it the way it sounds, not the way it's written. So they end up getting points taken off on their tests because they were never explicitly taught how to spell this word so it's very important in advocating for your kids if you know they're dyslexic to have a spelling exemption put on their IEP so this way if you're if you're testing for a specific spelling that they've been instructed on that's okay but if they're doing like an assignment or if they make a mistake on a paper and they don't get points deducted. But there, there's a lot of different ways that you can try to help them. Um, but when people don't know, you know, it just compounds the problem and makes the kids feel worse.
1: You know, this conversation has really been illuminating for me. As you know, I, I was a trustee for 18 years, been involved with public education advocacy, and I got to tell you, I've learned so much just talking to you these last few minutes here. And and I can't even imagine the internal struggle, you know, that somebody's suffering from dyslexia. And you said 10 to 20 percent. And if it's 20 percent, it's almost it's almost 100,000 kids on Long Island. Right. I mean, that's yeah. that's a lot of students across the spectrum, regardless of zip code. This has nothing to do with resources or anything else. This is just it, it, it's just the way it is. And and we have to do a better job from a board member perspective. How do you bring this type of change about, you know, I mean, maybe it's going to be mandated and maybe SED is going to come up with new uh, standards that we're all going to have to meet. But you as a board member, obviously, extremely passionate, extremely knowledgeable as a board member. How have you effectuated change within your own home district?
0: Yes. Yeah, so I think the most important thing we can do is start talking about it. I can tell you about four years ago in our school district, October is Dyslexia Awareness Month. I asked if we could start kind of acknowledging that and have a kid a day where kids can wear like the color red and like you know have some information sent out or maybe the librarians kind of talk about. It. I think that that's like the first thing is just. The the, You know, not ignoring the elephant in the room, let's start talking about it. Um, And that's why I was so glad to see Governor Hochul, you know, present her proposals for her budget because nobody's been talking about it at that level. So I think that the conversation starting is the number one thing. Then I think you really need to educate. And there's so many great podcasts out there. Like I was mentioning Emily Hanford sold a story. She's an APM reporter. She actually did a three-part series before that that I listened to years ago. And when I heard that, it was just like my validation. I was like, wow, this is what people need to hear. And it basically takes you through, you know, why literacy has taken the track that it's taken and kind of what we need to do to change. So I think getting people informed so they can see really what the concerns are with the old practices and how the new practices will help, that's how you're going to start to get your buy-in. You know, it's great to legislate things where the board can say we're going to do it this way or that way. But if you don't educate people and get a buy in, I, I really think it's going to be a difficult difficult change to make.
1: And I think that's what was encouraging with Governor Hochul's announcement. Nice, it was right there side by side with her when she announced it. So she is getting buy in from the field. And you're right. First step is start to talk about it. Second step, take a small step forward to say and acknowledge we got to change things up. You know, we we have to reset the expectations, increase the expectations. Yeah. This way we can do it better. Debbie, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you again for your service to the West Islip School Board. Thank Thanks you for, for your advocacy me. on the reading issue. And we wish you all the best going forward. We'll probably have you back again to talk more I about gonna it. I was
0: going to say this could be a series, Bob, because and I got more people that can come and talk. So Absolutely. let's do it.
1: All right. You've been listening to Spotlight on Long Island Schools on 1039 L.I. News Radio and out on that L.I. News Radio app. Thanks again for tuning in.
0: The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management or its sponsors.